Masechet Yevamot of Sadi Aleph. Today we are going to continue and finish the list of 16 penalties uh, that the woman gets um, that we've uh, been analyzing. And uh, after that, we're going to go into the Sefa of the, of the Mishnah of the three dissenting minority opinions here and the Sefa. Uh, so we're up to this one, number 12. That says, Hayta bat Yisrael nifsela mina kehuna. A woman, uh, actually any woman, but even a bat Yisrael can no longer marry a kohen, and the bat Levi cannot eat maaser, and bat kohen cannot eat teruma. In other words, if uh, such a woman uh, remarried, thinking that her husband was dead, and then the original husband comes back, so they would receive all of these penalties, including these three. So let's analyze them. Isn't this obvious that she cannot marry a Kohen? That is the definition of Zona. If a woman has an extramarital affair, even if it's unwitting, she is not allowed to go back to her husband if he's a Kohen. If it's on purpose, then she cannot go back to her husband even if he's a Yisrael. So here, regarding here, it's unwitting, but still she cannot go back to a Kohen. We know this halacha already. This is the basic halacha. Why do you need to tell it, tell it to us? And the answer is actually we just need it for parallelism. We really want to talk about the next phrase that Bat Levi has a consequence too. She can no longer eat ma'asem in the... Um, um, she can no longer eat maser, uh, even if uh, she goes back to her father's house. That's it, no maser for her. Now we ask, Levi mina maser mi pasla biznut. Wait, is that true? Is that a is that a halacha that uh, if a bat Levi is uh, 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 engages in some kind of zinut uh, illicit relations, does that make her no longer able to eat maser? It's not true. Hatanya zinut. If a bat levi was taken captive, and uh, we worry that uh, while taken captive, her captors will take advantage of her, or if she uh, engaged engaged in uh, uh, relations uh, uh, in, in, that were illicit. Uh, nevertheless, we give her maser, and she can eat maser. So what does it matter? Amad of Sheshat kenasa, and the answer is really that's not the halacha. This is just yet another penalty that the rabbi said. We want to add more penalties, more than are actually absolutely necessary according to any any Doraita law, because uh, those penalties will, will at the end will scare her off from the beginning from taking a risk. Of uh, of uh, not checking uh, to make sure that the husband is really dead, uh, so that uh, that so so that they can be lenient and allow her to get married based on one witness, right? Remember the resha when the the rabbi said, "Yes, you can get married us based on one witness." And uh, therefore, we want to be mekel, but we can only be lenient and allow her to marry if we impose these penalties at the end uh, so that there will be uh, serious consequences if, uh, in fact, the husband is alive. Okay, so that's one of the penalties. Now, next, Bat Kohen mina teruma, afilu bitrumad rabanan. said a Bat Kohen cannot have teruma. Isn't that obvious? Of course she couldn't. If she's a zona, she cannot have teruma. And the answer is, the rabbis are adding something else, even teruma that's only terumad rabanan. Like if it was in a pot with no holes in it, that terumad rabanan, even that she cannot eat. Next, ven yoshin shel zev yoshin shel zev yoshin ketu bata. The, uh, the, uh, the inheritors do not inherit her ketubah. What is this talking about? Uh, ketubah, my abidata. What is the purpose of this, of this ketubah? Why are you mentioning it here? I know that she doesn't collect. What, what are you talking about? The inheritors of the ketubah. Amara papa ketubat benin dichrin is talking about, there's a clause in every ketubah, even if you don't write it, <clears throat> it's implied, that 
should she die before the husband, the amount of the ketubah will be inherited by her sons. And uh, so a ketubah that she, from the first husband, or a ketubah that she, well, the, the second husband wrote for her, either one, if she dies, those sons will not collect the amount of the ketubah. The purpose of this clause is to make sure that her sons are taken care of um, because the husband might have other sons from other other um, marriages so that uh, uh, she, she it's coming to her. So when she dies, this goes to her sons. In this case, she loses it as one of the penalties. Now we ask, Pishita, isn't this obvious uh, that she would lose it because she doesn't get, she doesn't have her ketubah. She doesn't get the ketubah. So of course, the kids won't get it. So why do you even have to say it? The answer is, No, I might have thought that we only, for her, she's the one that uh, violated a prohibition, that she was with two men and um, married to one of them, and the other one was is a problem. So therefore, she uh, deserves this penalty. But her children, you might say, did not do anything wrong, so they don't deserve a penalty. If she died, okay, that's it. She's done with her. The children didn't do anything wrong, so maybe they should be able to collect the ketuvah. And so kamash malan, uh, this teaches us that even the ch- children don't. Uh, maybe this is even a bigger consequence, that she will think twice before uh, trusting this one witness and, uh, you know, really do some investigation to make sure that uh, she is fully confident that her husband is really dead. Otherwise, the consequences may pass on even to her children who will not connect the, collect the ketubah. Good. Achiv shelzev, achiv velo If either of the husbands die without children, um, and she, she's alive, she becomes a Yevama. And so she would have to perform some, do something. And the Mishnah says uh, they would have to do Chalitza and cannot do Yibum. Uh, so let's analyze each case. Achiv Shalishon Cholets Medeoraita. The first husband she's fully married to. She, they did a full, complete marriage. And until the time that he went away, they were totally married. So if he dies, uh, that's a full marriage. And so you need to do Chalitza Medeoraita. Why can't he, why can't he, she do yibum with one of the brothers of the first husband? So really, on Doraita level, you could because there was a full marriage. But the rabbis say, no, we don't want you to do that. Drabanan uh, knas, because uh, because of the second guy. Achiv shel sheni cholets midrabanan velo miabem lo midoraita velo midrabanan. Now, how about the second guy? Really, the second guy she was never married to at all because she was married to the first or so that kiddushin, but the second guy was nothing. So therefore, really, she shouldn't have to do anything with the second husband. If the second husband dies, her, the second husband's brother, should not have to do Yibum or Chalitza because they were never actually married. And so why do you need Chalitza? So in this case, it's Chalitza is Midrabanan. Uh, so you have to do, the rabbis say, do Chalitza, right? It's an, yet, yet an extra penalty. And But you can't do Yibum because on, not on a Doraita or the Rabbanan level, no way that you could do Yibum. Good. That explains that case. Uh, we just explained it according to the Setama, the Gemara, based on the Bizera. Uh, the Peshat of the Mishnah uh, would say that actually there is a marriage. There is a, um, a valid marriage to both husbands, and therefore uh, both equally would require, if either of the husbands died, there would be a Zika on a Deoraita level. Um, but because you have a, uh, a contradiction, this paradox that she's, uh, she's connected to two men at the same time, 
Therefore, you'd have to do chalitza and not yibum. So it would be a, a slightly, it would be a required deoraita on both cases. But in the, in the Gemara's understanding, it is derabanan. Okay, now we get to the biyose omed ketubata al nichse ba'ala. Let's look at this again. We have here three um, opinions. Let's actually look at this one. Okay, we have three opinions here, uh, three minority opinions. Rabbi Yosef says, She thinks that, in fact, the first marriage is strong enough that she can collect the ketubah from the first husband. Okay, Rabbi Elazar says that the first husband can collect the um, the uh, anything that she finds or her earnings, and he can undo her vows. So again, he is um, he's saying that the first marriage is full marriage is still in force. Uh, so they seem to be in agreement, and the Gemara is going to discuss: Do they agree with each other or not? We're going to see both both ways. The third Rabbi Shimon says that the first husband, if he dies without children, then his brother can, if the first brother does yibum or chalitza, then any co-wives that the first husband had can go free. In other words, the yibum or chalitza from the first husband is effective. And if she goes back to her first husband, and as children, the child is not a mamzer. So all three of these are uh, emphasizing the validity, continuing validity of the first husband. Um, unlike Tanakama, that says no, you cannot. Don't doesn't get any of any of these things. All right. So now, since they are all on a, some similar page, would they agree with each other or not? So we're going to see two ways. The first uh, version, the first opinion of Rav Huna is that the later the opinion, the third, agrees with the earlier ones. The third agrees with the second. The second agrees with the first. But not the other way around. The first will not agree with the second, and the second will not agree with the third. Okay, how does this work? Let's see. Rabbi Shimon, he's the third one. Modele Rabbi Elazar. He agrees with the one before. Dema biadi karisura lakanes. Rabbi Shimon is the one that said you can do yibum. So if yibum, which is the main prohibition, uh, bia is the main is the main prohibition, and there, uh, there the rabbis did not make a kanas. They said, okay, you can do you can do yibum. Rabbi Shimon thinks that the right the the the, yava, the brother of the first husband can do yibum. So if that's true, uh, then. Um, all the more so, Rabbi Shimon, the third opinion, will agree with Rabbi Elazar, the second opinion, that something that she finds or her earnings, that is just money. So that's more lenient than Bi'ah. So if that Bi'ah with the Avam is permitted, then certainly Rabbi Shimon would agree that she can keep her money. But the other way around is not true. Rabbi Elazar would not agree with the third opinion of Rabbi Shimon regarding Yibum, because he would say, uh, regarding findings and earnings, that's just money. So there, there the rabbis will be lenient. Uh, they did not make a penalty. That's a serious prohibition. So there, they would make a penalty. The whole point of this thing is that uh, she, uh, she had the illicit Bi'ah, and so therefore, uh, she can't go back to her husband. If she can't go back to her husband, she can't be with the with the Yabam either. So that's a more serious thing. All right. Now both of these two, uh, second the second and third opinion, they both agree with the first opinion of Rabbi Yose that she can collect her ketuvah 
at the end of the marriage. These, uh, the matters that they discussed, is that are something that she collects while they are both living. When she, her earnings, while she is alive and he is alive, she gets. So if that's true, then all the more so, she should collect the kituvah, which is the exit document. Uh, so if we're not going to penalize her while they are still married, then certainly we're not going to penalize her uh, for getting out of the marriage. That's the whole point. We want her to get out. Uh, however, the Biyoseh will not agree with the other two sages, because Regarding the Ketubah, I say, let her have the Ketubah. She'll be happy to leave, because uh, we want them to leave. But the others, uh, the findings and the earnings that she would collect while they are still married. But that is what we want to penalize, because we want them to stop being married, and so don't give it to her, so then he'll give that'll give her extra incentive to leave. All right, all that is the opinion of Rabbi of Rav Huna. However, Rabbi Yochanan says exactly the opposite. Rabbi Yochanan Amar The first opinions agree with the ones after them, but the last opinions do not agree with the with the earlier ones. Uh, so they go in the opposite order in terms of. Uh, stringency or agreement. So now we're going to have to argue everything we just did with an opposite argument. So this takes a lot of skill to come up with opposite arguments all the way through. Uh, here we go. Who said that she collects a ketubah at the end would agree with Rabbi Elazar that says she, she keeps her earnings. If a ketubah, which goes from him, he gives it to her, uh, and the rabbis did not make a knas and said, he, yes, he has to give it to her. Uh, then, all the more so, her findings and earnings that are given from her to him. Now, she, if, she, if we allow her to collect the ketubah, then all the more so, she doesn't have to give him something, the earnings. Okay, so he doesn't agree. But Rabbi Elazar will not agree with the first opinion of Rabbi Yoseh. The rabbis only do not make a penalty regarding her earnings and findings because that would go from him, from her to him. So there, if she has it already, we don't make a penalty to say that she has to pay him. But a ketuvah that goes from him to her, there, why should she collect? So we don't let her collect from him, but if she has something that she has already, she can keep. So that's why Rabbi Elazar will not agree with the earlier opinion of Rabbi Yosef. And both of them, Rabbi Shimon, the first two opinions, will agree with Rabbi Shimon that she can do Yibum with the first husband's brother. Uh, these first ones, uh, the, the, find, the findings, that is something that the rabbis did not penalize, and that happens while he, the husband is alive. So if you didn't penalize him, if you didn't penalize her while the husband is alive, then all the more so, of uh, you will not penalize after the husband is dead. The whole penalty is because, look, they're in a, they're a prohibited uh, marriage, and we've got to stop this, we've got to get him out of this marriage, but now he's dead, so it's finished. There's no need to 
continue uh, penalizing her on account of him after after he's dead. So therefore she can do Yibum. Uh, they would, or the first would agree with that. But the Bishimon Loma Dulehu, but the Bishimon would not agree with the first two opinions, because he would say, Biahu de la Charmita lo canis, canis only Biah where the rabbi is lenient because that's after the death of the of the first husband. So he's already out of the picture. So all those prohibitions we had. All uh, those problems are gone, so therefore we cannot, we do not need to penalize her. Go, let her do you, boom. Uh, that's fine. But these other things that she that she collects while she is alive and he is alive, uh, then that's uh, that you need a penalty. She should not be able to collect her earnings. And the ketubah um, that uh, would be given to her at the time of divorce, when he is alive, all those things she should not get because that's the whole point. We want to penalize her to get her out of that marriage, out of the situation. Okay, so that's a very good point about the relationship between these uh, various um, opinions. Okay, so now we understand this relationship, and now we're going to go to the sefa. Sefa vim niset shelo b'rishut moteret lachzor law. So if she got married without permission, and the Bavli understands this, uh, the Stama understands this as meaning, what do you mean without permission of the Betin? So based on what? Based on two witnesses. Okay, so the Resha is one witness with permission of the Betin. Sefaz two witnesses without permission of the Betin and says she can go back to him. The Gemara right now is going to understand this as a continuation of Rabbi Shimon's words. Rabbi Shimon says all this and he says um, the, uh, that if she got married without permission, meaning with two witnesses, she can go back to the first husband. So let's analyze this section. That we follow this halacha. Good. That she got married with two witnesses, even with without bet and with and without betin. So and then the husband comes back. She so we say, well, she did this on her own. She wasn't permit. She she didn't get a stamp of approval from the betin, but she relied on two witnesses. So what was she supposed she supposed to do? She uh, she did the right thing. So in that case, we say, oh, you know what? The second husband is nothing, and let her go back to the first husband. Um, okay. Why are you staying your opinion as if you're a thief? Um, why are you hiding your real, you know, what you're really saying? Why are you saying in a in a in a strange way, like you're uh, holding back something? What are you saying? If you're saying this is the law that we follow, this uh, this law that if she got married without permission of the betin, she goes back to her first husband. Who says that? Rabbi Shimon says that. So therefore, you should just say, I think halacha is like Rabbi Shimon. And you know why, why you're embarrassed to say that you're following an, a minority opinion? So you're saying this is the law. You don't want to quote that you're saying to be Shimon? Okay, good uh, challenge here. Now, here's the problem. If I say, if, if Rav would have said, or Rav, the name of Rav would have said, it would sound like he agrees even regarding the first halacha that she could do yibum with the first husband and uh, that the child is not a mamzed if she goes back to the first husband. He doesn't agree with the Shimon about that. So if that's the case, then you could still could have said it. You still could have formulated with Rabbi Shimon. And say, I agree with Rabbi Shimon's second point, that if she got married without permission, 
uh, that she can go back to the first husband. And you could have said it like that. And so we leave this as a difficulty. All right. Amarav sheshat Amina ki nayim veshachiv Rav Amara leha shemata shemateta halacha mikelad plige mai havalam lemeivad mianas anas anasa. Okay. The statement of Rav is now challenged once again by Rav Sheshat, and he says a fantastic phrase. He says, "I think Rav must have said this while he was dozing and falling asleep. <laughs> right? He didn't wasn't paying attention to what he, he was saying. It's not an exact thing by saying that the halacha." is like this line that if she got married without permission of the betin but based on two witnesses she goes back to the first husband she can remain with the first husband if you're saying that's the halakha it implies that there's someone who disagrees is there anyone who disagrees nobody disagrees with that what was he she supposed to do she is it's total honest there was two witnesses that said we saw your husband is dead so you don't need any more proof than that two witnesses is like infinity um, it would be the same as if it was totally against her will. She went, she did everything right, and she went and got remarried. She doesn't deserve to be penalized. It would be the same as if a woman was raped uh, uh, violently against her will. What do we say to her? As long as not she's married, not married to a kohen, we say it's not against her will. It's not 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 her problem, not her fault. So she can go back to her first husband. Should be the same thing here. Nobody would disagree. So why does Rav have to say, oh, I think the halacha is like this. No one disagrees with that. Ve'od tanya. And furthermore, we have a b'raita that says so. Kol you see, this B'raita says, uh, regarding all illicit forbidden relations in the Torah, they do not require a get. If someone um, has uh, illicit relations with a close relative, uh, they don't need a get. If some uh, someone is married and she commits adultery with someone else, she doesn't need a get. There, there's no way that to affect a marriage with any of these prohibited relations, except for Eshet Ish, that who got married based on Betin. That's the Resha of the Mishnah, that if the Betin gives their stamp of approval, then that gives some effectiveness to the second marriage. This is the Peshat of the Mishnah, right? You see it here in this Baraita. Gives some effect, and therefore she needs a get. So what do we derive from here? Alpi betin, who did buy a get? Only when the betin approves the second marriage, then it has, has serious standing. She requires a get, even if the first husband was alive the whole time. But alpi edim, lo baya get. If it's only based on witnesses, then she does not require a get. If the Betin didn't say this, this marriage is good, the second marriage, she got married on her own with two witnesses, so she did everything right, and therefore, um, the, uh, and the Betin did not get involved. Therefore, the, the, it's un, total unwitting um, uh, adultery, and uh, she does not require a get because the second marriage was nothing. And this, she doesn't regret a get. She can go back to her first husband. And so you see that this, uh, supports the fact that everyone agrees to this. Okay, this Baraita, thus in sum, says that in the second case of the Mishnah, when there are Edim and no Betin, no get is required. No get is required is equivalent to saying she can go back to her first husband. So this Baraita, which is anonymous, if we can prove that this is the opinion of a Rabbanan, then that means everyone agrees to this law, and that's the basis of Rav Sheshash's challenge that Rav must have been sleeping when he said Halakha is like that line in the Mishnah, that she can uh, go back to her first husband. Everyone agrees to it, because after all, this Baraita is agreed to 
by um, by Rabbanan. All right, now well, it's going to get slightly complicated, so let's put some labels. Let's call this Baraita A, right? Baraita A that says, and um, we inferred from the Baraita that in the second case of the Mishnah Piyadim, she does not require a get. So that means that this is agreed to by everyone. Now what we're going to do is say, wait, well, hold on, maybe, in fact, this Baraita is only the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. And therefore, it's not agreed upon by, by all. That's why I've had to say, I agree with this halacha. So, let's see if it fits Rabbi Shimon's opinion. Um, here's the problem. Rabbi Shimon, we're going to quote a second Braita. We'll call it Braita B. And Braita B is going to show that Rabbi Shimon is even more lenient than this Braita. In that it will not, he does not require a get, not even in the first case of the Mishnah. With the permission of the Betin, still doesn't need a get. How do we see that? When the Betin gives a, uh, gives a decision and they say, oh, there's one witness or whatever, based on whatever they decide, they say you can go and get remarried, then that is like uh, the woman uh, committed adultery on purpose. Uh, why should that be so? The Betin said she can do it. Yeah, but the Betin used only one witness, not sufficient evidence, so therefore she should have been more careful and uh, investigated. Therefore, we make it as if it's on purpose, and therefore she cannot go back uh, to her first husband. But if it's based on witnesses, al aidim, that's the se- and not betin, that's the sefa, kishigigat ishpisha, then it's like uh, she did it by mistake, unwitting. If it's unwitting, then she can go first, go back to her first husband. That's the end of Raitabi. The point of this is that edved la bayaget. In neither case do you require a get because even if um, a woman commits adultery on purpose, so, yeah, she can't go back to her first husband, but she doesn't have to give a get to the second one. So, you see, the Bishimon cannot be the author of this Baraita, because this Baraita A requires a get in the first case, just not in the second case. If this is not, uh, if this is not a Bishimon, then who is the author? Therefore, this is, in fact, a Baraita A is Rabbanan, and that proves that everyone agrees that in the second case, no get is required. Therefore, Rav, everyone says what you said. Why do you need? Why do you, why do you even need to uh, say halacha is like Rabbi Shimon when, in fact, it's uh, not Rabbi Shimon only? You see, Rav Shesha seems to be reading that line of the uh, Baraita as its own line, right? As not the opinion, the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, but rather as a separate line. And so everyone agrees. So you don't have to say everyone agrees with uh, halacha is like something that everyone agrees to. Okay, so this is the challenge. And uh, here's a little chart uh, because so we can follow the arguments uh, uh, coming up. We just had Baraita A. And we said Baraita A is the same as Rav's Pesach because it says, uh, that uh, Braita A says that in the Resha of the Mishnah, when permission is given for Betin, then you require get from second husband. But the Sefa, when there's two witnesses without permission, then you do not require uh, get from the second husband, which also implies that she can stay with the first husband. Now, that was Braita A. Rav Sheshash challenges that Braita A is by Rabbanan. We just proved that. And everyone agrees to, with it, so, agrees to that. So why, why did Rav have to come and say, oh yeah, I think the halacha is like this. You, that's already the opinion of Rabbanan and Abishimon. Everyone agrees to this line. Um, we showed that because in Braita B, the Abishimon says there's no get in either case, not even in the first. So this Braita can't be. The Abishimon has to be Rabbanan. That's the basis of the question. We're going to see four answers now. 
the first three are going to reread Baraita B so that Baraita B can equal Baraita A, and therefore we can say Baraita A is only the Bishim'on's opinion, not Rabbanan. Rabbanan would disagree with, uh, with the whole thing, would disagree with both parts of it, and would say you require get in both cases. And so that's why that supports Adav. That's why he had to say Halakha is like the Sefa, because that is only the opinion of the Bishim'on. So that's the first three are going to reread Baraita A. The last is going to reread Badait because first these three are going to reread Badaita B to fit with Badaita A. And the last one is going to reread Badaita A. So it's going to add a, add a word to it, um, a vav actually. And that way it will the rereading Badaita A will actually say you need to get in both cases. And uh, in that way, we can see that it's no, this Badaita does not say that there's no get required. You do need a get, and that would be the opinion of Rabbanan. And uh, the Bishimon again here disagrees with with Rabbanan. So, in either, either all four responses, uh, will say that the Bishimon is the author of the last line, and he disagrees with the Tanakama with Rabbanan, and that's why Rav had to say what he said. Okay, so let's go for the, to the first rereading of Baraita B. Um, that will show that. The um, in fact, the Bishamon agrees with this case. He doesn't say no get in both cases. No, that's not. He never said anything like that. he really is and explained Badaita B as follows. You had the wrong formulation. When uh, there is only one witness. Insufficient evidence, and the betin says, "Okay, you can go get go ahead and get married." Then they deem the the marriage that she has with the second husband as if it's with in, with intention of kiddushin, and therefore it's established as a good marriage. And she requires a get from the first husband. So he does require a get from the first husband. This is how it's different from the original formulation. And But if it's based on only witnesses that she gets married to the second guy without the permission of the betin, then we treat that uh, that uh, her connection with the second husband, that bi'ah, as if they did not have intention to marry. And therefore, it was just adultery, unwitting adultery, and she does not require a get. And so this, um, where you require get in the first, in case A, and not in case B, that's the same as Baraita A. So therefore, Baraita A is only the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, and it's not unanimous. Okay, that's one rereading. Second rereading of Rabbi Shimon. We have Ashe Amad. Le'inyan isura katane Braita B was talking about the prohibition. Vahi ka'amad. Asu betin pehoratan kizdon ish beisha umita sera al ba'ala. It's not talking about get at all. It's only a question of is she prohibited to be with her first husband. So if the betin got involved and they said, yes, you can get married to the second guy, then that is like she committed adultery on purpose. And in such a case, she is not allowed to return to her first husband. Good. Um, if it's based with betin, uh, if it's without betin, but based on just witnesses, then that's like unwitting adultery, in which case she is allowed to go back to her first husband. And so that's what Abishimon says. She can go back to her first husband in the second case. But it's not talking about uh, uh, re- requiring 
a, a get or not. It has nothing to do with a get, so there's no contradiction between Beraita A and Beraita B. Beraita A can very well be the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. She requires a get in the first case, but not in the second case. Next, Ravina Amalinan Korban Katane. Ravina says that whole Baraita B is talking about her requirement to requirement to bring a Korban. And it was not discussing not get and not being uh, not going back to anyone. Korban. When the Betin said that she can get married to the second guy, then it is like uh, was she committed a sin on purpose? When you do something on purpose, you don't bring korban. Korban is only for shogeg, and therefore she does not bring a uh, korban. In our case, she doesn't bring korban because the betin takes responsibility. They're the ones that have to bring the korban for issuing a false ruling. If she was she relied on edim without the betin, then that's like uh, an unwitting adulterer where she has to bring a korban because it was shogeg. In this case also, Braita B has nothing to do with, uh, uh, with a get, and therefore it's no challenge at all to Braita A, and so Rabbi Shimon very well could be the opinion, uh, the author of Braita A, that says yes, unlike the original reading, uh, she does require, original reading said no get in either case, in all three of these readings, yes, she even Rabbi Shimon would agree she requires a get in the first case, just not in the second, so this is the author, the author of this Braita A is Rabbi Shimon, not Rabbanan, Rabbanan says, would say she requires a get in both cases, and that's why Rav has to come and say, oh, wait, I think that Rabbi Shimon is right. She does not require get. She can stay with her first husband. All right, that's the first three answers. And the last answer, In fact, the Baraita A is Rabbanan. But you read it wrong. We're just adding a vav here. And by adding a vav, what we're saying is that um, everyone needs a get except for two cases instead of just one case. The original reading was except for Eshet Ish, Sheni Set Al Betin, who got married based on Betin, um, uh, 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 meaning. Only she does not require a get, right? The Braita A said that, let's read it again, uh, and no one needs a get in general, um, except for, now the original reading says except for one case, someone who got married, um, so when you got, that's Resha, then you do need a get. Only in the Resha you need a get, but in the Sefa you do not need a get. That was the original reading. But now by adding a Vav, we're giving two exceptions. Nobody uh, who is in prohibited relation needs a get from that uh, you know, pro- pro- prohibited person, um, except for two cases. One is Eshet Ish, and Niset Al Pibetin. Well, Niset Al Pibetin, that's Resha. Eshetish is the Sefa when she goes ahead and she, um, um, on her own, based on two witnesses, remarries the second guy. That's Eshetish and requires a get because it's part of the Chutz. And so, therefore, this Baraita, in fact, is the opinion of Rabbanan. But the Baraita itself says that a uh, get is required in both the Resha and the Sefa, because that's what the Baraita says, and that's the opinion of Rabbanan, it is not the same as Rav, uh, as Rabbi Shimon, and therefore 
she um, and therefore Rav had to come and say, "Oh yes, you absolutely halacha uh, is like Rabbi Shimon and not like Rabbanan, because according to Rav, there is a machloket between them." The final section of the daf is absolutely fascinating. Uh, we're going to analyze the statement that Rav Sheshat said. Rav Sheshat was pushing to say that everyone agrees that in the second, the Sefav, the Mishnah, in the case where she had two witnesses, that's full uh, uh, proof. And she goes ahead, because she doesn't need Betin, she didn't need to consult Betin if there's two witnesses, and she goes ahead and gets, and gets remarried. And then the first husband comes back, so we should allow her to remain married with the first husband. And he thinks everyone agrees to that, because after all, what else could she have done, right? She did everything properly. She doesn't deserve to be penalized. So this is a kind of a moral argument based on reason uh, that is very interesting. And now Ula is going to challenge it. Matib Ula, mi amrinan mai hava la sheshat. Can we really apply, apply this principle of moral fairness? I mean, it makes sense, but he's going to bring now six cases where, although there was nothing that the woman could have done, nevertheless, just as a consequence of the situation, uh, she does suffer because of it. So here's case number one. If someone writes a get, but there's a problem with the get. If he writes the date in an improper format, he writes it for not the right kingdom. You have to write the date according to wherever you are. If you're an Israelite kingdom, you write to the king, uh, the you know, uh, king of Judea. If you're in uh, Persia, you write to the Persian king. So if you write to a um, a kingdom that is not the right one for Madai, for Yavan, who are long ago have are, are gone, or to the building of the Beit Hamikdash or the destruction of Beit Hamikdash, that's not to the to the local government. So all these are improperly formatted dates, or you put the wrong place. You uh, wrote the place in the get that this get is being. Uh, done in the east, but actually we wrote it in the west, in the west, or actually he wrote it in the east. In all these cases, the get is invalid, but she thought it was valid, right? She receives a get. She may not know all the intricacies of the proper formatting. She received a get. She thinks it's proper in front of Bedin, and she goes ahead and she gets remarried based on that. Then some afterwards, after some years, someone opens up the get, says, hold on. Oh, there's a problem here with the get. It's not formatted properly. Well, now what? She actually was married to the first guy the whole time, and now the second husband, and maybe she had children with the second husband, are all problematic, all adultery. She has to leave both, and she gets all of the penalties that we already mentioned. That's what the Mishnah says. So, Ma'ula asks, Why, according to you, Rav Sheshat, why don't you apply the principle of what, what could she have done? She did everything properly. She doesn't deserve any of these things. And so, therefore, you see that principle is not true. Uh, however, Rav Sheshat can answer. He says, She should have read the get. I mean, she's responsible for making sure that the get is properly formatted. If she's not knowledgeable and studied all the laws, then she has to show her lawyer. Show someone you trust. Um, that's just that's the way it is with contracts. If you have a if you sign a contract and you didn't realize that there's a clause in it that's going to make you liable, you're still you still are responsible for that clause. You have to read the contract first. 
So it's unfortunate for her, but she is in fact responsible, and therefore uh, it is. It does make sense that yes, we uh, all the penalties apply in such a case. All right. So Rav Shishtad was able to answer that one. Second case. Here we go. A second case. Uh, someone, uh, a man dies without children, and his brother, the Yavam, uh, marries, does be'ah with the Yavamah, does yibum. Now the co-wives of the, of the uh, deceased can go and free, because one of the sisters, one of the co-wives, uh, rather, did yibum. So then the other co-wives will go ahead and get married. Turns out, after some time, that the Yavamah was an Ailonit. Adonit cannot perform yibum, and therefore the uh, therefore the the, uh, the yavam uh, was no one did yibum. Therefore, the co-wives are still uh, on the hook um, because they still have a connection to the yavam, and they were not allowed to go ahead and get married. And now we have a big problem. What's the result? The, the, the um, co-wives who went and married another guy, they have to leave all those guys and they have to um, get all of the penalties here. And we ask, What else could they have done? It's not their fault. They saw, look, one of the co-wives of the original husband who died did yibum, so now we're all good, right? They did everything right. Why do they deserve all these penalties? And the answer is, they should have waited to see if the one who did yibum uh, turns out to have a child, and you know she's not an ailonit, or maybe wait till she shows signs of uh, that she is an ailonit, and then uh, you know, wait, don't get remarried yet, and if she is an ailonit, then one of them will have to do yibum or chalitza. Uh, so she should have waited, and therefore uh, she is somewhat responsible. So now we uphold the principle that if it's really totally unfair, then she doesn't deserve it. But here uh, she has, she bears some responsibility. Third challenge: uh, In general, any time you have some uh, a case where the yavam is related to one of the potential yavamot. For example, if a man married his niece and he dies without children. So then the father doesn't do yibum, and not only does he not do yibum uh, with his daughter, all the other co-wives are uh, are permitted to go and marry whoever they want. Now let's say you have a case like that. So the co-wives, they say, oh look, one of our co-wives is related to the yavam, so now we can all go and remarry. And they do. Nimsu elu ailonit. But let's say the one that's the daughter or any of the ones that are related turn out to be an ailonit. In that case, the marriage was retroactively never good. Because mekach ta'ut, the man, he says, I would, would you have married her knowing that she's an ailonit? I never would have married her. Therefore, since that daughter was never actually married to the deceased, those co wives require. They still have retained their zika to the Yavam. And so therefore they weren't allowed to go and get married. So the result is, And so they have all this list of penalties. And now we ask, We should say, what was they supposed to do? They looked everything right, right? They looked up the law. The law says if one of the daughter, if one of the wives is related to the Yavam, then you don't have to do anything. They followed the law. They How could they expect that, that, 
that that daughter would become an Ailonit? And the answer is, They should have known this is possible, that she'd be an Ailonit, and then you'll be in trouble. You better wait to see if either she has a child or she develops signs of Ailonit and only then have gotten married. So she was somewhat responsible for these penalties. Next case, When a couple gets um, divorced, they're going to go to a professional scribe to write it. The scribe writes a get for the man because the man is going to take the get from the, from the sofer and he's going to give it to the woman. So that's why he needs to get it. And he also writes a shavad, a receipt uh, for, to the woman. The woman eventually, after the man gives the get to her and pays the ketubah, she will give the receipt uh, to the man so he will have evidence that he paid the kituvah so that she cannot come and say, oh, you, have, you didn't pay me the kituvah, you have to pay. No, look, you gave me a receipt. So that's the general thing, um, the way it works. However, ta'a, but the scribe made a mistake and he gave the get to the woman and the receipt to the man. And the woman, she gave the get to the man, thinking it was a receipt. He gave her, not thinking it was a get, he gave her a receipt, not the get. So she never actually got her get. And in the meantime, they don't open it up. I guess they were closed, they were sealed. And in the meantime, she went and got remarried because she thought she was divorced. She has her divorce in her hand. But after some time, after she's married, they open it up and they find that the get is actually with the man. She gave the get to him. That doesn't, they're not divorced in such a case. And, she, and he gave the uh, receipt to her. So she was never divorced. Her second marriage is all adulterous and all the other penalties will apply. According to you, you should say, hey, this doesn't make sense. She doesn't deserve the penalties. What should she do? She went there. She did everything correctly. And the answer is no. She should have read it first. Um, right? Before you sign something, you got to read it. Make sure. Is this the same version of the document that we agreed to before? Right? Did the right one print out from the printer? Uh, you're going to sign uh, you know, the, wrong, uh, the wrong one. You got to read it right before you give it to make sure it is in fact the right one. So she, yes, true, the Sofer made a mistake, but she's responsible to make sure that she did in fact receive her get. If in the get you have the wrong name, his name or her name or the name of the place, his, his city or her city, all these things are uh, requirements in the get for it to be valid. If any of them are wrong, then the get turns out to be an invalid get. She didn't know. She thought it was a, right, a good get and she went and got remarried. And turns out it was not a get. She was never divorced. Also, she has to, gets all these penalties. We could say, well, what, what was she supposed to do? And the answer, we already saw, she should have read the get uh, to make sure that it was correctly shown it to her lawyer. That's what you have to do. Uh, you see that we're answering the same answers for each of them. Why are we, have so, why are we asking so many questions if it's going to be the same answer again and again? Uh, we're going to see why in a second. 
Kenasaha beget kereyach tesemize omize. There's uh, something called a, a regular get, a bear, uh, a bear get, as opposed to one that's sewn together. A regular get is like any contract. You just write it and you sign it at the bottom with two witnesses. But the rabbi said, you know what? This get is not, uh, we don't want people to use that, especially if they're a kohen. Because if a kohen gives a get, he can never change his mind and remarry that woman. So the rabbi said, we want you to use a more complex and safer uh, version where you take the, the uh, parchment and after you write some lines, you fold it, sew it, and you need a signature of a witness. You do that again and again, at least three folds with three signatures. The reason is because this takes a long time to do. And hopefully by that time, the husband especially if he's a Kohen, will calm down and say, you know what, uh, I, don't, I don't want to give the get. So we prolong the process uh, for that reason. So the rabbi said, you have to use this type of son get, not a kereach get. What if you do use a kereach get? And she didn't know. Um, and she didn't realize. So then they, she has to get divorced. It's, not, not in, it's an invalid get. And uh, yet she gets all the penalties. And the answer again is, She should have read it and, uh, and realized that it's an invalid get. She should have consulted with an expert if she doesn't know the laws to say, oh no, you can't use this, this form. You have to use the other type. And uh, therefore, she is responsible for it in all those cases. So technically, Rav Sheshat is upheld. He answered all six problems. Uh, and so uh, theoretically, right, if you find a case where she really had no responsibility, she, she checked it, she read it. There was no way she, she could have done anything uh, and to prevent the problem then Rav Sheshat still stands. And in fact, Rav Papa in fact followed the, this reasoning in a case that come, came before him. It doesn't tell us the case, but it was a case where she there's nothing that she could have done to prevent this outcome. And therefore, Rav Papa was lenient and said, okay, you don't get the penalties. Ravuna comes and says, look, look at this sugya that we just learned. And you see, we have all these Mishnayot, these six Mishnayot, that challenge the rule of Rav Sheshat, that we say we nothing that she could have done. So this, all, the, all these six challenges, why are you still following the rule? The Papa says, yeah, but we answered all of them. So since we gave responses, and my case was not a case where she could have read it or should have realized. Um, so therefore, I went by the rule of Rav Sheshat. Uh, says, and are we going to really rely on all these answers? Uh, I mean, these, these answers, the more, the point is, even though we answered all six of them, the more challenges you have, the weaker and weaker becomes Rav Sheshat's principle that, oh, well, what, what could she have done? So even though if it was only one challenge and you answered it, fine. But six challenges shows that, yeah, you could answer it, but the answers are rather weak, and therefore we're not going to wa- really want to rely on that basic principle. So this is, I think this explains why we gave so many challenges, right? Again, poking holes, poking holes, and yeah, you can keep answering it, but once there's more exceptions to the rule than the rule actually uh, applies to, uh, then you say, you know what, we can't really rely on this rule. There's a very important methodological principle in many sugyot where you have many challenges, even if they're all answered, when they're going to come to side halakha lamaseh, you say, well, they answer all the questions, so we should follow that halakha. Not necessarily. The fact that it gave so many challenges uh, may be an indication that that should not be the halakha. And so this is absolutely 
fascinating discussion where you have exp explicit uh, moral uh, reason, moral reasoning uh, to judge a case, and uh, and, the, and the question is, can you apply that moral reasoning? Sometimes, yeah, but sometimes it's just the consequences of the reality of the case that, unfortunately, will will lead to difficult results. Baruch Adonai Amen